Johnny Manziel was successful beyond his wildest dreams. He became an Aggie football legend. And he had the coolest nickname in the world, Johnny Football. He won a Heisman Trophy his freshman year. And then he became a first-round NFL draft pick. Amazing. But fast forward just a couple of years, and Johnny, by his own telling, was sitting alone with a weapon pointed at his head, held by his own hand, because he had lost sight of why he wanted to live. In fact, in his own telling, he says he had lost any sense of purpose and meaning for his life. Now, if you've seen the new Netflix documentary that, that outlines the rise and fall of Johnny Menzel, then you know that it is, a, it is a sad and timely story. Because Johnny is not alone in, in wondering what purpose there is for his existence. As I shared with you last week when we started this new series, uh, there, are, there are millions, millions of men around the world right now who are wrestling with fundamentally the same question. They have lost any vision of what it means to live a meaningful life as a man in this world. No, they have not played the Cleveland Browns. They have not been the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns and personally beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But they can relate to the journey in some way that Johnny has been on. And that's why we started this series. And I know that we're in this series technically only talking directly to part of the room, but really the goal in this series is to, is to give a vision to all the guys and all the girls, to everyone, a vision of what it means to be a, to be a God-made man, a vision of what it means to embrace your identity as a man in this world. And everybody has a vested interest in this because maybe you're here as a guy, then this series is for you, or if you're not, chances are you're, you're living with one or you're raising one or you love one and, and you want them to succeed, then this is also for you. And so last week we started by, by outlining five marks of a biblical masculine identity. And the first we said was this, you could call it faith. A God-made man is a man who, a man who is deeply reliant on Jesus. And today the second mark that we're talking about is Health, you could say. A God-made man is a man who is keenly aware of the baggage that he carries, and he owns it. Now, the reason we have to talk about this particular mark of, of biblical masculine identity is because many men in the world have been, sold, have been sold a lie about what it means to be strong. We have been told that strength is the absence of weakness. And in many and various ways, we're told that from a young age, when we're told to just toughen up or to walk it off or, hey, hey, I don't want to see any tears, don't cry. We're told that the strength is the absence of weakness. Indeed, in my own life, I've wrestled with this. Years and years ago, when Lisa and I were first married, we went through a difficult time because a couple of people in our, in our close family circle had, had passed away. And it was really tough as a, uh, as, as a young couple to navigate a significant loss, significant death in our family. And we were watching each other grieve in very different ways. And at one point, Lisa looked at me and she said, I'm just amazed that you haven't cried at all yet. How do you get through this and you don't shed a tear? And so I just shared with her that, that I had a tactic. My tactic was to take all of my pain and just push it way, way, way down deep inside. And then I would, I would have a, 
you know, a cardiac event in my early 50s and, you know, like a real man. That was my tactic. Now, I'm, I'm happy to say that, that that tactic quickly lost out when we eventually had children and I found myself crying at the drop of a hat all the time. And, and even to the point where just a couple weeks ago, we dropped my daughter off at college at Texas A&M and she's an Aggie now and we dropped her off and then just a couple days, yeah, just a couple days later, I'm looking at the back door of our house where her shoes used to sit. And I, I looked at that back door where the shoes used to sit and all of a sudden I could feel like these tears like welling up within me. And then I'm in the middle of the living room bent over with my hands on my knees going, and my son, Jack, who's nine years old, he looks over at me and he says, Dad, are you throwing up? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm trying to deal with my emotions like a healthy male adult. We, we are told that strength is the absence of weakness. And then we wrestle with what to do with our weakness the rest of our lives. But, but that idea that strength is the absence of weakness couldn't be further from, from the biblical worldview, from, from the way the scriptures outline this. The scriptures tell us that strength is not the absence of weakness, but, but strength is admitting and recognizing and confessing your weakness. That is what strength is in, in a scriptural sense. It is admitting and confessing your weakness. Uh, look again at Jesus' exchange with the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of his day. Look again at what Jesus says here. Matthew 23, verse 26. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the plates. In other words, your external life is all put together. You follow the rules. You live a life of success, right? You, 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 you live perfectly in so many ways. But the inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You haven't dealt with any of the issues below the surface. Therefore, you are a blind religious leader. You're a blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the dish and the plate. Deal with the real issue in the heart and the mind that the outside may also be clean. Jesus calls outer purity with inner rot hypocrisy. Outer performance with inner issues is hypocrisy. And yet, for so many men, that's actually the picture of strength that we've been sold. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on on the inside. Don't deal with that. Don't tell anybody that. Hide all that. Overcome all that. And just project an image of strength to the rest of the world. Our idea of strength has been performative. Just project strength to the rest of the world. And yet Jesus says, if that's how you're coping with things, if that's how you're going through life, you are the worst kind of hypocrite. If you've got inner issues, but outer performance where you look like you got it all put together, man, you are messing it all up, according to Jesus. And then look at what he says in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus says. Chapter five, verse three, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying those who know their weakness, those who know their issues, their hurts and their hangups, who know even their moral bankruptcy, those are the people who are ripe and ready to receive all the blessings of God. They are really the strong ones who are in touch with all the weakness hurts, issues, and struggles that they have. In the kingdom of heaven, in the Christian faith, in God's economy, strength is not the absence of weakness. Real strength is recognizing, acknowledging, and owning 
your weakness. Now, this impulse to hide what is hurting or wrecked or wrong in us is nothing new. It's not just a, a byproduct of American macho culture. It, it, is, it is as old as time itself. It is an in the beginning kind of thing. Because if you know the story of how all things began, then what you know is Adam and Eve are, are placed in the garden, they're given this perfect relationship with God, and they're called to go out and, and steward the world around them. And yet, they reject that relationship with God, they think they're better on their own. And no sooner do they reject their relationship with God than they are covered in shame. They're covered in shame. And, and they recognize the distance between them and the divine. And they recognize the, the difference as well between them and God. And so their impulse is to then run and hide. They are full of shame for having ruined this relationship with God and rebelled against him that they run and hide. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 3. Verses 8 and 10. This is actually how it played out. They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Adam said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden, and I was afraid. And what does he do? He hides. He doesn't want the Lord to see his weakness. He doesn't want to feel shame. He doesn't want to be seen as one who is mad. And guys, I just want to tell you that that impulse has been reverberating. That same choice has been repeated billions and billions and billions of times since that first moment. That, that one, of the, one of the chief temptations of man is to hide what is weak and what is hurting and what is wrong. And, and it, is, it is a sin that we have inherited from Adam. Our impulse is to hide what is weak, what is hurting, and what is wrong. But let me just tell you this. Just as it was true for Adam, this is true for you and for me. Hiding does not help you. And any time we hide our weakness, our struggles, our sin, our shame, God's move towards those who are hiding, man or woman, is to call us out of hiding. But our instinct is to hide. And men, you, you need to know that about yourself, that you have this inherited impulse when there is something that's weak or wounded or broken or bad, your impulse is to hide it from the rest of the world, including your God. Now, you might hear that and say, well, that's not my instinct. I don't hide. I'm going to press on that and say, yes, you do. I'm going to share with you what I've found to be four common ways in which men tend to mask their pain or hide their hurts and their problems. And the first is this. A common mask for men is anger or sometimes violence. When something is bad or broken and they feel like they can't fix it or they're anxious or they're hurt, Oftentimes, men will hide behind anger. You've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Well, it's a phrase, it's a saying for a reason, because it's true. And a lot of men hurt a lot of other people because they themselves are hurting. And because they can't fix it, they just decide to go full Andy from the office and punch a wall. Well, the anger, the violence, is a mask for their pain and their problems. The other common mask, the other common way to hide is through excess 
or indulgence. When, when men are feeling bad, they quickly will often try to find a way to feel good or to just feel numb. Not all that long ago, I was having a conversation uh, with, with a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 20 years. We were having lunch, and we were talking, quite honestly, about, about his penchant for, for getting high all the time. And we were talking about why he does that and what kind of the motivation is behind him just getting high all the time, despite the fact that it was really, really doing a number on his relationships at home. And he said, look, Matt, it is easier for me to hide in the garage and get high than it is for me to go in the house and worry about all the stuff that I can't fix. And so that's what I do. But you see how indulging that that, that excess, that indulgence is a mask for pain. It's a mask for issues that he's, that he's carrying and stuff that he doesn't want to deal with. Another common mask, a way to hide your pain and your issues is work. A lot of guys will just dive into the one thing they know how to do well, which is work. And if some other part of life isn't working, some other part of life is hurting, well, I, I know how to get an easy win. I'll just go into work and work harder. And then for some, their mask is humor or deflection. And humor is a way to try and regain some sense of control. If, if something is bad and broken or, or, or hurt and has you upset, but you can't immediately fix it, at least if you can know enough to laugh about it, you feel as though you're, you're not entirely owned by it. These are ways in which we hide. And so moment of transparency and honesty as guys, look at that list. What is the common mask for you? What is the common way in which you hide? Is it anger? Is it excess? Is it work? Is it humor? You need to know this impulse that you have. What is the common mask for you? Now, as I say these things, I recognize that, that some of us, because you know, you're a guy and I'm a guy and I, I can know one when I see one, I know that as we talk about this, you start to get nervous. Because as I talk about the pain that we carry, the issues that we have, and the fact that we are tempted to hide, and all the different ways in which we try to project strength to the rest of the world or, and avoid dealing with our pain, you start feeling seen. And you don't see all the stuff that's underneath. You don't want other people to know what you wrestle with. You don't do the whole vulnerability thing. And you're thinking to yourself, this feels a little too much like we're talking about feelings, and I don't do that. Well, let me just say this. Th this really isn't about feelings. This, this is about freedom. This is about freedom. And freedom is a, is a masculine concept that, that every guy can get behind, right? Cue all the Braveheart references I'm tempted to make. <laughs> Everybody likes freedom. But that's really what it's about because, because if, you have, if you have hurts and hangups and issues that you're not addressing, that you're hiding, you are, you are bound by those things. You are held and constricted by those things because you can't come out from underneath them, you don't know how to fix them, and the coping mechanisms that you have don't make things any better. And so if you, if you continue in hiding, you are caught, you are stuck, you are bound, you don't have any ability to move beyond that hurt, that hang-up, that issue, and you have no ability to learn from it and get stronger because of it. You are stuck. This is actually about freedom. This is about being invited into freedom. And, and that's what Jesus is here to do. You see, Jesus is the one who makes it safe for you to come out from hiding and experience freedom. Look, I, I know why you tend to hide. It's the same reason I tend to hide. I don't, 
I don't want to feel seen and judged. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel or have other people think that in any capacity that I'm somehow a screw up or a failure or that I'm somehow not enough. I have those same fears too. And so I tend to hide as well. But what Jesus does is Jesus makes it safe for us to come out from behind our our typical mask, the ways in which we hide and experience freedom. Because what Jesus did is that Jesus, Jesus experienced shame and rejection and condemnation for us. Think about what his work on the cross accomplished. It was not only Jesus dying publicly as a punishment for all. It was Jesus being publicly shamed, publicly ridiculed, publicly condemned, publicly judged for us all. Look at what the prophet Isaiah, written some 700 years before Jesus even was born, look what the prophet Isaiah says about the work of Jesus. Listen to this. This is a reference to the coming Christ. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." The pains, the pathologies, the problems, the wounds, the fears that we carry, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, are the result of sin. Either our own sin, or someone else's sin against us, or just the fact that we live in a world that's broken by sin. And as a result, all the things that were tempered me, they do bring with them some level of shame and embarrassment. But listen, listen to the words of the prophet. What Jesus has done is he has come and he has been despised for you. He has been rejected for you. He has been publicly shamed and condemned, judged for you. So that now, though you carry these things, if you come out from hiding and you confess these things and you lift them up to the Father, you will not be shamed. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned. You will not be ridiculed and rejected. The Father will simply accept you because Christ has endured all of that for you. And so in Jesus Christ, though you're tempted to hide from God, you can come out from hiding and be accepted by the one who matters most. And that's freedom. You don't have to hide from him. And healthy men, with, with a healthy biblical understanding of what it means to live as a God, by God's de- by, as a guy, by God's design, they know that. They know it. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. What I would encourage you to do is to step into this dynamic, into this life of health, of recognizing you carry baggage and that you are free to step out from the ways in which you want to hide and, and hand those things to God and hand those to others. And so the healthy habit I would encourage you men to embrace is this, is to name the things that you carry and to share the things that you carry. To name the baggage, the hurt, the fear, the wound, 
the hang up, the perpetual sin, whatever it is, whatever you're tempted to hide, to name that thing and then to share it with somebody else. And, and the thing that might take the most time is honestly just naming it. Because guys, we, we are so good at not only hiding what we're dealing with from others, but confusing ourselves. And so it might take you a while to really name what the core issue is. Why am I so angry? Why am I indulging in this thing? Why do I feel this desire to just feel good or be numb? Why, why am I diving so much into work? What am I hiding from? What am I running from? What's the core issue? What's, what's, what's going on on the inside of the cup and the dish? It might take some real prayer and some real wrestling to figure out or to be honest with yourself about what the root issue is. But you gotta name it. But then once you name it, once you know what it is, you share it. Yes, in prayer and in worship with your God, who because of Christ will accept you and not condemn you. But you also need to share it with other people. Not anybody, the right people, safe people. You need to name it and share it with a friend, share it with a pastor, share it with your spouse, of course. Share it with the one sibling that you like and can stand. Share it with somebody. <laughs> and it's not because, you know, this friend, this pastor, this, this friend, this sibling is gonna fix it for you. That's not what they're there for. The transformation doesn't come from you sharing the thing that you're tempted to hide with somebody else and them fixing it. The transformation simply comes from this. You sharing that thing, being seen as one who carries with and wrestles that thing, and not being rejected for that thing. And that simple act of, of naming it and sharing it and being seen as one who struggles with it, but not being rejected by someone that you love, that right there is one of the most powerful forces in the world. One of the most transformative things that you can experience, men, is this. Is confessing to somebody else the mess of a man that you are and yet having that person still love and respect you as a man despite that mess. That is a life-changing experience. And so what you need is to not only name it, but you need to share it with somebody else and experience the transforming power of them not rejecting you and the transformation comes when you experience that this way through Jesus Christ and when you experience it this way with other people. So, so, so for the guys in the room, my homework for you is this. My homework is for you to answer this very simple question. Who? As I go through this week and I, and I name the stuff that I'm dealing with that I am so tempted to hide from other people, once I've named it, who can I share it with? Who? My wife? My buddy from college who gets me, like never judges me, gets me, will speak truth to me, but gets me, loves me. Do I, do I need to call my church and sit down with my pastor and say, hey, I got, I got some stuff I got to share. I need somebody who can listen and not judge. Okay, let's do it. Just answer that question. Who? Um, I, I, I'll leave you with this. 
There, there is one image that, um, that most every guy can get excited about. Uh, one thing that, that men get really, really passionate about. And, and that image, that thing that is something that can get most every guy really passionate is a well-packed SUV for a family road trip. There are a few things that can get men really, really excited and really passionate than taking all the suitcases, the cooler, all the bags, and getting them to fit perfectly Tetris style in the back of the family SUV. And not only get them to fit perfectly, but arrange it in such a way that an hour later when you stop at Bucky's and you open the hatch, nothing falls out. And you have quick access to the things you might need along the way. Guys will stop and stare at a job well done, packing the family car, and they will have their arms crossed, and they'll stare at that, and they'll have conversation with ours. They'll be like, so, so Bobby, tell me, what was your strategy here? I see that you went, you went with suitcases first and coolers second. Tell me what were you thinking there. Uh, the, the wheels on the roller bag, wheels out or wheels in? Wheels out, really, really? You're not worried about it hitting the back of the door when you put it? Man. You're a pro. Guys get really excited about this. So guys, let me, let me just share with you a pro tip as one who's gone on a lot of family journeys. Let me, let me share you a pro tip. One of the ways to make this easy for you is to make sure that you, you yourself, are mindful of all the stuff that you bring on the road trip. There's gonna be a ton of stuff to carry, but it is easier for you to care for the needs of others if you yourself travel light. You may not be able to do all this for yourself. You, you might be like, I don't know about all this stuff, talking about my hurts and my hangups and, and sharing them with other people and coming out from hiding. Oh, this feels too touchy-feely for me. You may not be able to get behind this idea for yourself, but I would encourage you to get behind this idea for the people that you love who have to journey with you whom you've been called to care for. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for them. And the best way for you to care for them as you journey with them is to make sure that you travel light and you don't add any extra stuff so far as you can help it, any extra complication to all the stuff that you and yours have to journey with. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into, into a life of freedom where you can travel more lightly. But it involves a redefining of what it means to be strong. Strength is not the absence of weakness. Strength is confessing and admitting your weaknesses. Naming those things, coming out from hiding and shared as you are accepted despite what you carry and experiencing the power of being able to then take those things and leave them in the driveway as you and the ones you love the road. Healthy men who understand their biblical God-given identity are men who know their baggage and they own it and they experience the freedom of no longer hiding but of letting go of it. Amen.